You want to get in better shape, lose weight, get healthy, and feel happier. But every time you try, it only lasts a few weeks. Guess what? It's not your fault because it's super f***ing hard. I'm Carl, the founder of Body. Here's a secret. Most workout programs and diets don't work long-term because they're not designed to fit into your life long-term. That's why I created Body, the world's first health esteem platform. And I want you to try it free for 14 days. With Body, it's not about how good you'll look in a month. It's about how good you'll feel in a day. It's about giving you permission to enjoy your life while getting healthy and losing weight. Sound too good to be true? Don't say that to our millions of happy members. If you've struggled, I get it. But now it's your turn to succeed with a health esteem routine on body. Change your focus from how you want to look in one month to how good you can feel in one day, and it'll completely change everything. Go to body.com now. That's B-O-D-I.com to try it free for 14 days. Welcome to Garden Views. Interesting conversations with interesting people who have done and or are doing interesting things. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome everyone into Garden Views this week. Uh, sorry for the different intro, but I sort of got tired of the old Garden Views introduction, and I figured that this was a little bit more fun. That Star Trek D Space Nine. Obviously, we don't own the music, but we use it in a de minimis fashion, and this is for journalistic purposes only, of course, and informational purposes. Um, as you may have guessed already, because of the theme music, we are going back into space law and related topics, which is you know one of the main recurring uh, themes of this show, and we're very pleased, we, me, I'm very pleased to have with me uh, Pankaj Mehta. He is a young lawyer um, to be in, from India. Now, their, their system is a little bit different than the United States, where you go to university or college and then law school. Um, you get, you, you, like most of the world, you study law in university and you, you get a law degree, but he's also going for his LL, LLM. And the way I know him is through the Space Corps Foundation. Um, but I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell you a little bit about himself, and then we'll talk about what the, the show is about. So thank you so much for joining us, and please elaborate on your biography and, and do better justice about you than I did. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me over. So I am Pankaj Mehta. I am from India, and currently I'm a final year law student, uh, and I'm completing my undergrad degree. Uh, I have been working with the Space Code Foundation for over a year now, and I am uh, I'm serving as the rapporteur at the editorial board of the Space Code Foundation. And uh, in the future, the near future, I would say, I would be going for an LLM in air and space law because... I have decided that this is the field which interests me the most in when it comes to law, and I would like to pursue my career in space law and policy. So that's yeah. great. It's wonderful, and you're 23, so that's amazing. You're you're young enough for, to to you know, already know what you want to focus in, and it's something that's emerging. And I think you're with the right place. And just for, for people who don't know what a rapporteur is. Uh, since it's sort of a fancy word, it, it's basically he's completed his internship, but afterwards he's sort of like an, a working ambassador for the for the Space Corps Foundation. Uh, still does work with the Space Corps Foundation, um, volunteers, 
uh, may help other interns. Uh, you know, it, it's just sort of an honorarium, so to speak, uh, title. So uh, that, that's what it means in, in this context. Uh, in, in I know about five or six years ago, there was a band called the Raconteurs that were popular in the United States. I'm not sure about anywhere else, but he's not a member of that band. Maybe he is. I don't know. We don't know. Anyway, so I have uh, uh, Pankaj here for uh, a few reasons. And, you know, one aspect he's very passionate about, he's very passionate about all of them, but one is near and dear to his heart. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about, I'm going to try to frame the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of India's space program and any laws that India has agreed to, whether it's treaties or uh, laws that, you know, multilateral, bilateral, bilateral treaties or uh, arrangements or any internal laws and, and sort of the status of the Indian space program and their policies generally. Uh, then we're going to get into sort of... Um, Internet access from space, sort of like uh, sort of like what Elon Musk is doing with Starlink, but uh, beyond, uh, you know, just uh, Mr. Musk's uh, endeavors. And uh, and then the topic that is, you know, probably most near and dear to him is he's very concerned about environmental law with regards to space, which is interesting. We had another guest uh, a few months ago, Yana, who's also from the Space Court, who, uh, you know, one of her passion project is light pollution. Um you know, and not necessarily just from space, but, you know, that that's where, you know, you can have the most impact in the future anyway. Um, so with that, if you could just give us an overview of, of Indian space law in whatever order you think is uh, most appropriate. Okay. So I'm not going to bore everyone with uh, how Indian Space Research Organization was established and how the first, the founding scientists carried uh, <clears throat> a sample of the rocket on their bicycle to get it yeah yeah test ran and everything and that is how they established isro uh, i'll just go uh, a little bit into the constitution of india and then we'll move to uh, what is the status of space launch policy in india so, so in india uh, we follow a quasi federal structure which is which means that we are not entirely federal. Uh, just like the model which is followed in uh, USA is not what we follow here. Uh, in India, the central government has more power, if I have to say, uh, as compared to the state government. And uh, in, in order to make sure that uh, the subject matters uh, between the state and states and the center are uh, divided uh, in a rigid format. There are lists uh, in the seventh schedule of the Constitution of India, which are the, cent the union list, the state list, and the concurrent list. Space is a matter which, would f which falls under the central or the union list, which means that only the central government has the power to legislate over it. Now, coming to the status of space law and policy in India. So far, uh, and I think India has been quite late to commercialize uh, outer space because it was only in the year 2020 that the central government decided to commercialize outer space and uh, they announced that, yeah, we, we would be letting private players uh, into the commercial space industry and uh, they can use our... The government-owned launch launch sites to maybe launch their satellites and um, 
operate space assets. Uh, since 2020, uh, it has been almost been three years now, and uh, we still do not have a concrete uh, space law or an act to govern uh, commercial activities in outer space. All we have is certain policy documents of uh, from uh, the Department of Space or ISRO, uh, which would come into effect uh, after the approval of the union government and we are still to get that approval so all we have is draft uh, documents on how the space act of india would look like and these are like if i was an evil bomb villain which i strive to be but i don't have the resources yeah. but if i was and i wanted to launch my rocket from India, it would it would be at a private site, which was a public site, but now is privatized, or at least the site is public, but the private sector has the right to use it, license it, whatever, whatever the case might be. And I put on three platoons of uh, space marines, you know, or, or, you know, former Air Force special, or whatever, it doesn't matter. And I launched them onto, I don't know, uh, Let's just say Mars for the sake of argument, mm -hmm. um, you know, and with, you know, uh, heaters and generators, or I had that, pre, you know, pre-sent down there. I had, uh, you know, food and, and water and other necessities for, you know, uh, you know, two years stowed away down there somewhere. Um, you know, robots were already there setting things up. Anyway, and they go down there and they, they claim Mars for me. The evil Lord Jeff Zikistan, uh, Emperor uh, Emperor Evil. Um, that's okay. That they're like you know, the, India doesn't vet it. You know, I imagine you know you, you can't just send anyone to India with with you know machine guns and weapons. But let's just say they were they were prepositioned mm -hmm. there on Mars also. So they all look like regular astronauts. There's just a lot of them, and they just have you know tattoos and buzz cuts. Um, yeah. it, I mean that that theoretically, no one's there to stop them, and they've broken. Absolutely no law of India. Uh, so, uh, when I talk about these policy documents, which are the, the draft policy documents of ISRO, which are there available on the internet, these documents uh, only talk about how the Space Act of India would look like. Uh, it states that, uh, yeah, we uh, aim to protect the outer space environment and we aim to fulfill the treaty obligation at the same time we also want to make sure that uh, the research in space uh, relating to space exploration would thrive so uh, if i have to put it generally uh, the current draft documents only talk about principles on which the space act of india would be based on and they do not concretely talk about anything. And uh, I don't think, based on those policy documents, I can answer that question. But uh, if I have to go, uh, if I have to analyze that question from the perspective of how uh, India has reacted to such things, or the law, or the law as such reacts, uh, uh, in, in the law in India reacts to may react to such a situation then I'm sure that the Space Act of India would have certain kind of due diligence clause or something like that uh, in the future so that they could make sure that uh, someone cannot launch uh, a payload which has weapons in it and send it to some other planet. 
So I'm like sure about it that uh, they would be making sure to deal with such issues. Okay. It, it wouldn't just be as easy as I like to pretend. Yeah, that's it wouldn't be that easy. Plus, and also uh, the weapons have to be lost from somewhere. And, you yeah. Know, okay. Uh, so space to... treaty, uh, uh, the liability is always with the state. Mm-hmm. Outer Space Treaty, Article 6 and 7 combined effect, the liability of any damage caused uh, to the space uh, objects like outside space to any celestial object if I have to talk it uh, in a layman's term the liability is always with the state even if the uh, actor has been a private uh, entity oh, just so for the record I want to make it clear that hypothetically and allegedly what I would do you know it would be peaceful because I'm claiming the planet and I will I will as a tyrant there will be absolute uh, peace in my police state and we're going to be very green. We're going to use as much solar energy as possible and renewable fuels. We're going to we're going to recycle. We're going to do you know we're we're going to be as we're going to be green AF. Um, it's it's just that I'm going to claim the planet for uh, the empire of Jeff Zikistan, which will then be then you know my island nation will fold because uh, everybody's going to going to move to Mars, which will now become Planet Jeff. So I, I just want to make it clear that that it, it would be free. But but what you're saying is that. You know, they have to do the due diligence. Maybe I could get the astronauts up there, but, you know, and with food and whatever, but probably not, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get the weapons up there. But if I, if I was clever enough, I could probably get, uh, you know, food and water and other materials up there that did look like yeah. they could be for research facilities. Like I was doing a research station in Antarctica. I'd have to mm-hmm. find a more clever way to get my weapons up there um, or, you know, or maybe bribe someone a billion dollars. So, you know, something. Yeah, yeah. If I have, like, uh, I might agree on that, that you will have to be more clever. I don't think uh, the, f- the future Indian space law is going to leave any loopholes. Because um, uh, on paper, I'm actually uh, uh, specializing in business law, corporate law. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to corporate law, uh, India has... Uh, the most rigid form of corporate law on paper. Like if you read uh, the Companies Act or the Securities Contracts Act or any other corporate law legislation in India, uh, on paper you would feel like it is impossible to get through or do something or maybe find a loophole. But the reality is that the implementation of these laws uh, is not as good as they appear on paper. So, yeah, on paper, I'm very sure that the Space Law, the Space Act of India would appear to be a very concrete law, but you don't know how they might go about the implementation of such law. So, yeah. I will contact my Viceroy General. We'll we'll see about... You know, it sounds like a subcontinent worth of a loophole for all of the uh, non-threatening equipment. I just have to figure out another way to get the threatening equipment up there. Again, hypothetically and allegedly, not re- not really planned. Okay, so we'll move off Jeff Zikistan and Bond villain. You know, um, uh, what was that movie? The one that was like this, this uh, like Thunderball in space. I, I can't remember the name of it. Um, it's going to kill. Anyway, uh, for those of you who are young enough, it, it, it was a James Bond movie probably in the early 80s. I, I can't remember the name of it anyway. <laughs> but it was basically the remake of Thunderball, but, but this time in space. Anyway, I think I just said that. 
All right. So let's talk about the, any real world. Is, is India the part of uh, part of any? Is like on the international treaty on on debris? Is it part of the Moon Treaty? Is is it you know? Is it part of the UN International Treaty on the Peaceful Use of Space? Where does India stand on those things formally? Yeah. Okay. So formally, uh, India is actually uh, a part of. Uh, the ma- uh, all the major treaties, um, they have ratified uh, and signed the Outer Space Can- Outer Space Treaty. They have uh, si- even signed the Rescue Agreement, uh, the Liability Convention. Uh, I'm not uh, a little sure about. Yeah, I don't think they have. Yeah, they have not. Uh, s- they have signed the Moon Agreement, but have not ratified it and. Uh, the rescue agreement, yeah, it is, if I have to sum it up, they are very much part of the major five outer space treaties. Uh, if we come to the current times, uh, India is where uh, the Artemis Accord of the USA is like uh, very famous at this point. India is not a part of Artemis Accord as of now. Uh, and uh, if I have to talk about any other agreement with specific countries, specific states. So there are agreements. I won't uh, count them as bilateral treaties. Uh, For example, recently, these are just, I think, memorandum of understandings and cooperation and everything because recently India India and US agreed to agreed on cooperation when it comes to space launches and like uh, exploration activities. And it is, I think, Another set of cooperation, I could not find any document on it so that I could read, but it was just like in the news. Uh, so, yeah, India is a part of all the major five treaties. All right, folks, thanks so much. Uh, while Panja was talking, uh, Pankaj was talking, the internet went out, not just the internet, the power went out on my side. Here on the east coast of the United States, the power went out. It's not even stormy out here. I'm in Maryland. Um, and of course, the internet took twice as long as the regular power to come back. But uh, Pankaj was patiently sitting here, and I'm not exactly sure where it stopped. And we're going to try to pick off where we, where he thinks he lost me, where I was probably just a frozen image on the screen. And uh, you know, so if you hear anything twice, or there, you hear any sort of, there was something that sounded strange in the middle of the show. That's the reason why. All right, with that out of the way. Please continue where, you know, as best where you think you left off or we can cover some of the same ground again and keep on going. Yeah, so we were talking about uh, what all international law instruments have, have India, has India signed uh, when it comes to space law and policy. So <clears throat> India, of course, is, uh, is cooperating with a lot of states when it comes to space exploration. So that is there, and you might not find concrete documents to read about these uh, memorandum of, of understandings or international cooperations. Uh, and therefore, I would just stick to the five major uh, outer space treaty, which are outer space treaty, uh, liability convention, registration convention, rescue agreement, and the moon agreement. So India has. Uh, ratified uh, the Outer Space Treaty, Liability Convention, uh, Registration Convention, Rescue Agreement, and uh, 
India has only signed and not ratified the Moon Agreement. And uh, if we talk about the very popular, recently very popular, the Artemis Accord, which is a U.S. project to land uh, land humans back to Moon, India is still not a part of it. And I think there are. 18 or 223 countries which are part of the Artemis Accord, but India is not a part of it till now. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good overview about the state of Indian law. you have any idea what their, what their general policies are? What Any reasonable predictions to make? Or do you think that's outside of your purview? Uh, okay. So, when I, so there are basically three... Uh, recent documents which have come into picture, draft documents. One is the Space Transportation Act, Space Transportation Policy, sorry, Draft Space Transportation Policy, Draft uh, Space Communications Policy, and uh, the Draft Humans in Space Policy. So the Humans in Space Policy basically covers uh, almost everything uh, pertaining to the five treaties that, yeah, we want to send humans back in space and we want to commercialize space and private entities should uh, be participating and now we have realized the importance of private participation in the commercial space industry and everything. So it is a very generic policy. It Actually, all three policies are quite generic because they talk all about principles, principles, principles and uh, nothing on how, what would be the procedure or how do you, let's say, uh, actually get the license. Uh, they do not talk about the procedure in detail. Uh, both, uh, not both, but all these three policies talk about the establishment of uh, in-space, which is the Indian National Space, Authorize, Space Authorization Center. So ISRO has established in space, which will take care of all the authorizations uh, when it comes to launching a private space asset or let us say a satellite, In if we have to be more specific. So in space, uh, they established uh, along with uh, announcing the news that we'll be opening space industry for the private sector. In space is very much there, it is functioning. But the problem is uh, for us as lawyers that we are not aware of the fact that how InSpace is operating. Uh, InSpace has actually given authorization to at least five Indian startups, private Indian startups, to launch their satellites in space using uh, the the public owned or the government owned launch site. Uh, Skyroot India is one of them. Dhruv Space is one of them. Uh, and Skyroot India is actually, I think, uh, very uh, is the one which is uh, which has taken the lead because they have test launched their rocket so that they can launch a satellite and they plan to launch India's first commercial privately owned satellite uh, in by the end of 2023. I don't know if they'll be able to make that deadline or not. But the question here is, we do not have any concrete law on authorization or anything. On how do you authorize a private entity to launch satellite? What is the procedure? There are, of course, uh, appendixes, forms attached to the policy documents. 
but these are just draft policy documents and they will only come into picture or they will only get the status of law once the union government uh, approves of it and the union government has not approved of it and here we have in space the authorization wing of isro which has already authorized few uh, private entities to launch satellites and the question is how did they do it uh, even at the space board foundation the indian team of uh, big book big book of space law is now trying to <clears throat> get information on this front that how did they authorize it what is the procedure they are following or have they just given authorization to the companies who have approached them so far or who have the capabilities to launch the satellites or has it been easy this time and if the law comes into picture the space act of india or the space policies of india would it uh, be difficult to get the authorization So yeah. It's an interesting predicament where you've been given the green light but the government hasn't yet said yes, but I guess they haven't said no. And exactly. and if someone just goes ahead and d- does it, I mean, there's plenty of time for in- intervention. It's not like you can just get a, exactly. ro- a rocket onto a launch pad and a satellite and up there and, you know, in, you know, in six hours, even then you'd have time for local police or whatever to get involved, but it is yeah. an interesting academic I mean it sounds like it should be an issue of a story decisis. Exactly. And uh, I I'm sure <clears throat> sorry. I'm sure you must be aware of uh UNIDRA's uh, Cape Town Convention and its uh, associated space protocol uh, space protocol and the uh, aircraft protocol. Well, let's just pretend I'm not. Okay. So <laughs> I worked at uh, UNIDRA for like three months. I was an intern there. and my subject matter of research was uh, space protocol basically uh, so unidua has a lot of uh, instruments and uh, they also have an aircraft protocol which is which has been a great success a huge success and uh, basically cape town convention aims to uh, provide a method through which we can uh, fi- we can find finances when it comes to aircraft industry or the space industry right now because space is uh, a very unpredictable uh, industry plus the space assets operate in a very hostile environment and we do not know what will happen next the finance has been an issue there like uh, the risk involved is quite high and therefore people do not people think twice or maybe thrice before investing in space especially the new investors so space protocol is a way through which you can actually uh, create an international interest in uh, your current or maybe future uh, space assets let us say you are going to launch a satellite or you have already launched a satellite you create a international interest in uh, that space asset and based on that international interest you uh get fine uh, you uh, pick up uh money or finance from the market and uh, the finance uh, the the person providing you the finance can uh, has the guarantee that oh i have an interest in the space asset so i might be able to recover it in case uh, of uh, any loss or something like that or if the person who took the loan or the money from the market is unable to pay So, so it's sort of like a multinational bank with insurance built into it. 
I cannot say for sure because I only know the law aspect of it and not the intersectional aspect of finance with it. But it is an instrument which the states could... Because, uh, okay, I'll give you an example. Uh, let us say that uh, you launch... Uh, you have you already have you already own a private satellite. Mm-hmm. Okay, you are you are an owner of a satellite, and now you want to uh, launch maybe another set of satellites, and you are looking for finance. So what you do is you create an international you create an interest in your current. Uh, you cr- uh, create an interest in your uh, current uh, space asset. And you get you get finances based on this interest from a con- from someone in country let us say A country A. Now because it is an international interest and you two are uh, people from two different states, conflict of laws will always come into picture because you are two peoples of two different states. Now in your uh, state. Uh, the interest which you have created is, uh, let us say, not enforceable. And in uh, the other party's state, state A, the interest you have created is enforceable. In case you are unable to pay back your debt or the finances or the money you took, how will a person ensure that they are able to enforce the interest you have created in the space asset? That is how uh, Cape Town Convention and its associated protocols come into picture. This is like an international agreement on which the countries would agree and uh, they'll agree that, okay, the international interest in, let us say, aircrafts or in, uh, spa- uh, in space assets or in locomotives will be governed by these set of rules. So in future, we do not have any conflict. So let me see. Let me see yeah. if I understand this. So it, it, this is almost like the Hague Convention, where countries yeah. have agreed to a forum for dispute resolution, a court for particular purposes to resolve it, and they agree at least in principle to be bound by the findings. And this is also a great way if you are, let's say, you are five nations that don't have the money for a space program and can't afford a weather satellite, but somebody's going to launch a weather satellite, or all five of you together can. You all have a, you go through the convention, you sign whatever the papers are, you get the, the weather satellite up, and you can all share the data, I guess, to predict whatever. Tsunamis, you know, regular weather, tides, whatever it is that you need that you think is going to help you. Uh, and if you're on some sort of payment arrangement, if you don't, presumably the other states can, can sue you or, or your state gets eradicated and, and instead of it being 20% ownership, it becomes one-fourth ownership for the remaining, whatever the case may be, yeah. whatever the powers of that court. So that's what it's about. It, it, but this is still uh, not about deciding the forum because uh, UNIDRA is actually n- not uh, going to be the forum which will take care of the dispute or would try to resolve the dispute. They have only drafted yeah. this document, yeah. So uh, when it comes to uh, aircraft protocol, IKO is... Uh, the appropriate forum which takes care of all the disputes when it comes to uh, uh, aircraft protocol of the Cape Town Convention. So it would be maybe some other institute which uh, would turn, which might turn out to be the body which will take care of the disputes or the dispute settlement body under this convention. Uh, sorry, 
maybe it'd be the Hague, you know, some international court of claims yeah. or something, something like that. Okay, well, we, we don't know what that is exactly, but it would be something like that. It's not a crowdsource, it's not a GoFundMe, though, for space, yeah. subsidized by governments. Okay, I understand that. And by the way, a while ago I said Stellar Decisis, uh, or, or Star Decisis, I, I don't remember which I said. Yeah, I it's Stellar Decisis. Yeah. Stellar Decisis. So... Uh, the audience, you may not recall when we had Nathan Johnson and Chris Hearsay on, which were they were on different episodes from the Space Corps Foundation. What that is 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 the Space Corps' educational program, but it's done uh, almost in like an animation, Law and Order style thing, where they have legal scenarios that they come up with, and in a you in a humorous but. Uh, accurate way they present it on YouTube. So the Space Corps Foundation has a YouTube channel and Stellar Decisis is one of the programs and they sort of do it almost like Law and Order but it's issues regarding space and try to figure out how it would work in, in, in front of courts. Um, which is funny because I was thinking a good episode might be if, if, if Texas secedes from the United States and you know you start you know launching rockets from from Texas, but they still need the you know, NASA's approval. You you sort of get the same situation that you might have in India, where there's uh, there is a federal government that's involved, but but in in this case, they they technically don't have it's a it's a relationship of convenience. They don't have any jurisdiction over Texas, which is seceded. They they just sort of a. Uh, you know, are, are still using NASA assets or whatever. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it becomes Jeff Zikistan just, uh, you know, on, on the largest southern border of the United States. So anyway, or becomes a new border. Anyway, th that might be a fun episode for Stellar Decisis, but that has zero to do with you. And um, so, all right. But this is a good segue. We're talking about satellites because one of the things you were very interested in was satellite and, and especially st satellite provided internet services. So why don't you talk a little bit on that? Yeah, so uh, this is a very new development. Yep. Uh, that uh, so I'll start with the fact that uh, internet has become the very basic uh, necessity for us these days. Just like food, water, we cannot survive without internet. And uh, there are reports which st still state that uh, in certain parts of the world. Uh, people still cannot access internet. Uh, and with 5G and beyond in picture, uh, what uh, has been suggested by many private operators that we would be using inter uh, satellite satellites as the enabling infrastructure to provide internet access through uh, by placing uh, constellations in low Earth orbit and uh, this would be a very high-speed internet and it would cost us a lot uh, initially and then it would not cost us so much but again it is still costly so uh, there are multiple issues uh, with satellite internet access the first one is that uh, satellite internet access would intersect with uh, cyber security and cyber law and uh, as such, we do not have any international cyber law in picture. Now, uh, satellite internet access would uh, operate uh, through multiple satellites. Currently, it is just uh, SpaceX which is operating uh, or providing satellite inter internet access through satellites. And uh, if Elon Musk's plan goes uh, as per what he's thinking, 
SpaceX alone would uh, end up launching around 43,000 satellites in 10 years. So they would be placing 43,000 in total 43,000 satellites uh, in the lower Earth orbit. And uh, it is also interesting to note that low Earth orbit or any orbit is a limited natural space. Uh, you can maybe take it, uh, imagine it in the form of uh, a cylinder or a tube in which you can f fit in only a number of things. And after a point, you will not be able to put uh, any more things in that tube. Same goes for uh, orbits. After a point, we will reach a place where we will not be able to uh, place uh, any more satellites. So SpaceX is one which is planning to uh, place uh, 42,000 satellites. Then there are competitors of SpaceX which have similar projects on satellite internet. Uh, Amazon has one of its project, Project Cooper. Then uh, UK has its own project, which is OneWeb. Uh, India recently launched, uh, I think, 40, around 40 satellites, micro, satellite, uh, micro slash small satellites for OneWeb. Then uh, China and Russia have actually banned satellite internet access and uh, China has plans of its own that the government would be providing satellite internet access and we'll be launching our own satellites uh, and everything. Uh, another issue which, uh, which comes with satellite internet access is because the number, of, the number of satellites in low earth orbit would be increasing. It would lead uh, to a lot of space traffic management issues Plus, it also uh, brings in the topic of dark sky protection, uh, which uh, of the, a director of Space Code Foundation might have talked about. I think you mentioned it earlier that she was on the show as well. Yep. So yeah, dark sky protection comes into picture uh, with uh, satellite internet access because you'll be launching so many objects into the space. And uh, if someone... Uh, may google the current status of the orbits or they can get an image of the space objects which revolve around uh, around the earth uh, that person might find that it is very much crowded out there so uh, chris uh, and even jonathan uh, once shared this link to a website which uh, which has all the information relating to what all space objects are out there. And it is basically a simulation of Earth and all the objects which revolve around it. And when, when I saw it, it was, uh, I would, if I have to put it correctly, uh, it was very much crowded. It was crowded to an extent that it looked like we have launched a lot of waste material out in space, although those are like space objects and a lot of them are satellites. But it is crowded to the extent that uh, it is just dangerous at this point, I would say. And if we keep launching more and more objects, dark sky protection, of course, uh, we won't be able to see the night sky, I think. It would be all satellites and satellites and satellites. So and a yeah, lot of them is... die. They, they, they don't live forever, satellites. Yeah, and that is the problem. Satellites, uh, 
uh, once you launch a satellite in space, it is going to occupy a space or a portion of space in space for a very, very long time. Uh, I was reading a paper by uh, someone I don't, uh, I don't remember, I cannot recall the name of the author, but uh, in this paper, this author actually argued on national appropriation of space. So, Outer Space Treaty says that uh, you cannot claim uh, outer space, right? Okay. Uh, you cannot appropriate space. But uh, when you launch a satellite, that satellite is going to stay uh, or occupy a portion of orbit for a very, very long time. And uh, it is impossible to like give that slot, the, the slot which, let us say, satellite A, occupies to some other satellite because that satellite is going to occupy that space for a very long time and it is going to stay there almost like forever. So does this not amount to appropriation in a way? Because although you are saying, yeah, we are not claiming uh, outer space, we are just using a part of that orbit. But at the same time, you are occupying that or that portion of the orbit for such a long time that it may amount to appropriation because no one else is able to use that uh, portion of the orbit. Right. And it's, yeah. a, and it's uh, all the satellites, or I think all the satellites, are all, all around 22,000 miles above sea level. Earth. So it's, yeah. it, it's not like they're spread out over, over you know, different... Heights. I'll, I'll use height because we're in three dimensions. I'm not sure what the right word is, um, but I, and I think they're basically on the same orbital ellipse as well uh, mm -hmm. because of the Earth's the way the Earth's gravity works and the Moon and the Sun. Uh, so you know they're all basically more or less in a line. And also, I think that the International Space Station is in the same is is also in lower Earth orbit as well at the twenty. Or is that maybe twenty four thousand miles? I am uh, not sure about it. I'm not sure about it. I know that when there's space junk, when you when you when there's been some experiments with blowing up satellites, and by the way, yeah, yeah. the United States has done that. Russia's done it most recently. China's experimented. I mean, we're, we're we've all said we're not going to do it again. But mm -hmm. there, but there's space junk up there, and even like debris the size of a penny uh, yeah. or a small pebble can cause catastrophic damage. Yeah. Um, and the ironic thing is that the, the, the Russians did it most recently, and the ISS is, well, it's it's mostly cosmonauts, um, yeah. and it's under Russian control, uh, you know, for a while. Uh, so, I mean, they actually were endangering their own, and of course, when you blow something up, it may not stay in that 22,000-mile orbit. It's going to go somewhere else, and it can also damage other satellites, too, which brings us back to a question we were talking about earlier about what, what state is liable. There's a treaty that says the the launching state is liable but you know i and and i've talked about it on, on other episodes so yeah. we're not going to talk about it here with Ankaj. well you can you can listen to the other law uh, space law episodes of garden views and, and hear that discussion um for those who've listened to all shows i don't want to bore you with that but that is that is a big problem and yeah i mean internet access is important you know what elon musk is or was doing with starlink was important of course he's recently politicized it by not letting the ukrainians use it um, by letting everyone else use it or wherever he, he gets them to. So, I mean, you know, when you depend on the largesse of others, uh, you know, they, they can, as we say in wrestling, a face can turn heel. 
In other words, the good, the white hat can become a black hat. The good guy can become a bad guy, or at least with certain issues. And you know, Musk, like everyone else, is is a mixed person. I mean, you know, we're we're, we're all. We're all complex. Anyway, I don't want to get into him and that. I think we covered the Sally thing, but I know that near and dear to you, and this is related, obviously, because of the light and the space junk, but you, you're very concerned about environmental policy when it comes to the new environment, which is space, uh, or not the new environment, but the new one to, that we're going to be going into. Uh, I, I mean, that's not to say you're not concerned with the environment of, of terra firma as well, but this is a show on space law. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and what you view as the problems building onto the satellite uh, issue and space junk and, and what you think would be good policies or what, you know, what maybe you hope to do in your career to uh, alleviate or address these systemic issues. Yeah. So, uh, of course, it is, when we talk about uh, outer space environment protection, so the first thing anyone would uh, try to find out is whether there is something in international space law which talks about, concretely talks about, uh, outer space environment protection. And uh, that person would be then led to Article 9 of the Outer Space Treaty, which in some way addresses uh, the environmental issue. But at the same time, the major focus of Article 9 is uh, on the protection of Earth's environment from any harmful interferences from outer space. And therefore, it is in my opinion that uh, Outer Space Treaty does not uh, concretely addresses the issue of uh, uh, protection of outer space environment. Then, if you go and analyze uh, numerous uh, national space legislations, let us say the 2018 uh, legislation which UK passed on space launches, or maybe the Australia's Space Launches Act, or maybe the numerous uh, 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 the numerous uh, legislations which uh, there are there in place uh, when it comes to USA or maybe Russia or China. Uh, these legislations have something very, or if I have to add one more, in 2017, we actually, in India, we actually had a draft space activities bill, which was presented in one of the, uh, one of the houses of, one of the houses in uh, India. And it also contained a clause on environment protection. So keeping all these legislations in mind, they have one thing in common. They only talk about uh, they only talk about environment protection uh, in the sense that they want to protect the environment of the earth from any harmful interferences or from any uh, let us say any act uh, any act uh, which might harm the environment of the earth uh, in pursue in pursuant to the space exploration. Let us say, for example, uh, they want to protect the Earth's environment from the ill effects of uh, launching a satellite because it would consume a lot of fuel and you know how launching a satellite works and everything. So they want to make sure that they are not uh, polluting the environment through launching a satellite. What all these uh, legislations do not address is protection of the outer space environment. What happens to the in, what happens to the outer space environment when you launch a satellite? 
what about the debris of course uh, when it comes to space debris there are certain guidelines iidc has its guidelines and there are people who talk about space debris and there are other set of people who are talking about yeah we are working on a technology to actively remove uh, space debris and everything but the point remains that uh, if we talk about legislations uh, it looks it appears that the states are not very much concerned about the outer space environment and they only want to protect outer space environment to the extent that to the extent when it serves their economic Uh, purposes, or I would say they want to economize or monetize the outer space environment. They only they do not want to protect outer space environment for the sake of protecting outer space environment. If it has, if such a protection has some attached interest, attached economic interest, then yeah, for sure the states are going to protect outer space environment. Uh, in the twenty seventeen bill, which I was talking about, which was like discussed in India. there is a clause which talks about even outer space uh, environment protection and they had imposed <coughs> sorry a certain form of uh, fine if you are found uh, polluting the outer space environment which could also lead to uh, i think 3 months imprisonment but uh, the problem with that clause or provision is that the amount of fine which they have decided uh, in the space activities bill 2017 was very bare minimum and any commercial uh, private space launching company would be easily able to pay that fine like it it would not be a very big deal to pay a very small amount of fine that that the gravity of that fine was like really really Uh, minimal or the amount of fine was like really small so uh, yeah my major concern has always been that uh, uh, the states do i don't think that states want to protect outer space environment for the sake of protecting the outer space environment uh, unless there is an economic uh, interest attached to it uh, which brings me to the question that how do we if at all we are supposed to protect outer space environment for the sake of protecting the environment outer space environment then how do we do it uh, so space is of course one of the three recognized international spaces uh, antarctica is one high seas is the other one and third is the outer space uh, when it comes to the exploration of uh, antarctica because even in, in at antarctica you cannot claim sovereignty and it is not owned by any state and all those things sorry sorry so uh, yeah when it comes to uh, research uh, activities or exploration activities in antarctica they have uh, a legis- they have a legislation in place or an international agreement in place which actually talks about the protection of out- protection of the uh, antarctic environment and this legislation actually seeks to protect the antarctic environment and uh, the procedure if i have to run uh, you through the procedure in a very uh, fluid manner then uh, before uh, the states are under obligation to make sure that whatever activities they are planning to undertake in uh, at antarctica 
uh, they'll have to first evaluate the environmental impact assessment. They'll have to first go for the environmental impact assessment of that uh, activity and what all effects it might have on the Antarctic environment. And then they have like three categories of uh, three categories under which they'll have to class. They'll have to uh, categorize uh, the activity which they are planning to undertake. And if uh, let us say it falls under a cat, there are like three categories. First is uh, yeah, you are okay to go with the activity. The second is okay, you are the activity might cause some environmental damage or may threaten the Antarctic environment, but at the same time, it is maybe okay with certain adjustments to go with the activity. And the third, I think, is you cannot go with this activity because this is going to cause uh, this is going to cause a lot of damage to the Antarctic environment. And uh, yeah, so that is how they go about it uh, in the international instrument. But uh, we do not have anything as uh, like this when it comes to uh, uh, launching satellites and outer space exploration. Uh, when it comes to environmental impact assessment of satellite launches, the environmental impact assessment would only uh, take into consideration the damage uh, the launch of a satellite might cause to the environment of the earth and it does not take into account what damage it might cause to the environment up there so yeah that is like a major concern and uh, people i don't think talk much about protecting outer space environment for the sake of protecting the outer space environment and not just to uh, maybe uh, gain something out of it, maybe finances, money, or like not to think about their economic interest for once. I know it sounds uh, so uh, idealistic and uh, everything, but at the same time, I think it is very important to protect the outer space environment because it is already a very hostile environment in which your space assets are operating and you have already invested so much in launching that uh, space asset create in making that space asset and making it function in, in outer space so well, it is idealistic but i mean so was protecting the oceans and the air 150 years ago and yeah. now it might be too late so the easiest way to keep a little problem from becoming a big problem is to address it on the front end. I know that it's not maybe as pressing to some as the environmental crisis here on Earth. Yeah. Also, a large percentage of the population doesn't believe there's an environmental crisis here on Earth. But while space is enormous, it's not as big as one might think as far as how we use it. We already talked about the ellipse and the orbit around, around yeah. the Earth. But also when you launch things to the moon or other celestial bodies... There's, there's maximum efficiency routes that you do certain times a year when, when the alignments are correct, when the trajectories are maximized. And right now for fuel savings and, and lots of other reasons, that's the difference between making a trip to Mars viable, not viable, making a trip to Mars take three months instead of nine months or, or whatever the case might be. Same with the moon. And so the the routes think think about trade routes if there was only basically one or two um and and so even though the oceans are very large if all the tankers or all the planes were only flying on in one route it could get crowded pretty quickly 
Uh, and so that's what we're talking about here. Uh, it's not like Star Trek where you can go anywhere and you know go into hyperspace and whatever it is. But anyway, those are all very valid concerns. I thank you for sharing that. I don't have any answers. I'm, I'm barely catching up to the problems um, or the issues. But I thank you for your insights into, into India and India's law and these other issues that are near and dear to you, not just from an Indian perspective, but from a... Uh, solar system and and beyond um, perspective. And I thank you for taking your time. And I apologize for the technical defects and fingers crossed that, that, uh, that this turns out okay and we can splice them all together and don't have to do a do-over. But I, yeah. I appreciate that. And uh, for those of you out there, thank you for listening. Please give us a nice rating, give us five stars, give us a review, and by all means, refer us to your friends and colleagues because how else are we going to grow without those referrals? Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff, for having me over. It was really nice to talk about it. And uh, I hope that a lot of people listen to this and maybe if I, maybe like, of course, I'm very much more concerned about the environment. Maybe this reaches somewhere and like people start thinking about it. So, yeah. Sure, absolutely. Hey, if people want to follow you, if you want to be followed, do you have any social media or do you have anything to promote? This is a free promotion zone if, you, if you're interested. I am like really bad at promotions, but yeah, I am, all, of course, available on LinkedIn uh, by the name Pankaj Mehta. And uh, yeah, I would I would keep it that way. Okay. Like, yeah, I'm really bad at promotions, so. That, that's fine. And it's P-A-N-K-A-J. Mehta is M-E-H-T-A. And yes. In, enjoy. A short amount of Deep Space Nine as the outro, but not long enough to violate any, any copyright. Yeah. Uh, where's my Deep Space Nine?